We are back. As promised at the top of the program, we will be joined now by California Assembly Representative for the 9th District, Dave Jones. Assemblymember Jones represents most of the incorporated areas of Sacramento proper and is, in fact, my representative in the Assembly. Dave Jones chairs the Assembly Judiciary Committee while serving on many others, including the Health Committee. It is, in fact, the convergence of health and legal issues that takes us to the matter of conservatorships today. We've been wanting to talk about some of the abuses in this system after observing some shocking developments right in my neighborhood. We were thus delighted to encounter Assemblyman Jones's guest editorial in the Sacramento News and Review's February 2nd issue. We found there that not only is someone paying attention to a terrible situation, but someone is trying to do something about it in the legislature. Here to talk about all this is Assemblyman Dave Jones. Welcome to Radio Parallax, sir. Great to be here on the air with you, Doug. Can, can we explain first off to the audience, who I'm sure many don't know anything about this, what is a conservator and how does someone get one attached to them? A conservator is someone appointed by a court to manage um, all of your affairs, uh, including uh, where you can live, um, what sorts of goods or services you might purchase, how your money can be spent, uh, everything that you would normally do for yourself, uh, the conservator does for you. And the reason we have conservators is that there are some people who, because of uh, their condition uh, in life, are, are unable to manage their own affairs. Uh, they may uh, have a dementia, for example, or uh, Alzheimer's, or uh, some other uh, uh, cognitive uh, difficulties that make it impossible for them to manage their own affairs, and so the court can appoint a conservator. And that that's all to the good, but what we have discovered, uh, much to our great dismay, is that there are uh, quite a number of private professional conservators who are taking advantage of the very frail and oftentimes elderly uh, people uh, whose job it is they are to protect. Well, we, we generally think of a conservator uh, as someone appointed under court authority to manage the affairs of generally elderly people looking out for their best interest. How do we get to a system where private individuals are able to assume control over these old people's lives? Well, what, what the law provides is, is actually uh, just about anybody can be appointed a conservator. Um, and in the vast majority of the cases, it's a family member or a friend or other loved one who comes forward and asks to be given that authority to take care of a, a family member or friend who, who is in need. But uh, uh, as uh, is the case here in California, I think something on the order of about 15% of the conservatorship cases are ones involving private conservators, uh, individuals who, who do this professionally uh, and who come forward and ask to be appointed to take care of someone. And here's, here's where the, the problem is. Uh, there, uh, are uh, a number of cases where private professional conservators uh, have come forward and asked to be appointed and have been appointed when, in fact, the person that they're taking care of really doesn't need a conservator. Uh, and there have been uh, quite a number of cases where the private professional conservator engages in self-dealing, uh, has a son or brother-in-law or some other relative of theirs begin to manage the financial affairs of the conservatee uh, without actually knowing what they're doing and takes advantage of the person. And so this is where the problem is, and what we've discovered is that there's just not enough oversight. There aren't enough checks and balances in the system, 
and people are being abused. This subject was of interest to me because I observed a little old lady in my neighborhood where ne- nephews came in to visit from the Midwest. Uh, I might add, not particularly close relatives. They hadn't seen her for years. Next thing you know, she has a private conservatorship. This this person's gained control over her assets by court order. And, you know, I don't I don't profess to know all the details in the case, but I did talk to some people that, you know, are close to her. They say that they didn't feel the person was acting with care and prudence for her. And I question why she needed a conservator as all, because... They asked me to go and take a look at her as a practicing physician, and I did my own sort of mental status examination, which which we do, and I she was not demented. She was, in my opinion, capable of, of exercising her own affairs. Did something like this start you off on this case? Did you come up with some cases that were uh, local cases that really kind of alarmed you? Yes, uh, there were quite a number of cases that were brought to our attention, like the one that you describe. Uh, there's a, a, a case that I found particularly appalling, uh, involving a, a lady who lives here in Sacramento, who whose mom lived in Southern California, and uh, whose mom was facing some some challenges, but was still able to manage her own affairs. And so, uh, this uh, lady up here gets a notice that the very next day uh, there's going to be a court hearing uh, to decide whether her mom should have a conservator. So she gets in her car and races down to Southern California, drives literally all night to show up in the court hearing to say, wait a minute, this isn't necessary. And this is one of the problems with the existing system. It's possible for people to petition a court and seek an emergency temporary conservatorship on a very, very low showing of need. Now, that may make sense in some cases when someone is about to hurt themselves or hurt others and they truly are in imminent danger of of, of injuring themselves or otherwise hurting uh, others, you, you probably want the authority to appoint someone on an emergency basis. But, but what's happening is now on almost a routine basis, these temporary emergency conservatorships are being created. And once they're created, it's very difficult to undo them. So in the case that I'm just describing to you, uh, the lady showed up and said, in court, wait a minute, you know, the, uh, my mom really doesn't need one of these, but she didn't have a lawyer. She didn't have the opportunity to retain a lawyer. She really wasn't familiar with the procedures. And the court went ahead and at the at the behest of this private professional conservator issued a temporary conservatorship. So the next eight months of this lady's life and her mom's life was spent trying to undo that. She had to go hire a lawyer to fight the conservator's lawyer, both lawyers of which are being paid for out of the estate of the mom, who had very limited savings to begin with. Uh, and so the conservator now hires a lawyer and draws from the financial assets of the person she's supposed to be taking care of to try to protect her position as conservator. The fight went on and on. The conservator moved the mom into a nursing home where she got inadequate care, um, and she ultimately passed away. Um, just shortly before that, the conservatorship was finally abolished, but the damage had been done. And so these, yes, these are the kinds of cases that were brought to our attention and resulted in my introducing Assembly Bill 1363, which is the Omnibus Conservatorship and Guardianship Reform Act of 2006. Is this a, I want to talk about the bill in a second, but is this conservatorship statewide? Or is it, does it depend a great deal upon location? For example, is Yolo County the same as Sacramento County? The, the law applies statewide, and the rules are the same statewide. Uh, where, you, where you see some variance is uh, in um, the ways in which different courts go about implementing the law. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think in, in some cases the courts have done a better job of oversight. In other cases, they've done a 
terrible job of oversight. The, the current law provides that the, the court is really supposed to oversee the private professional conservators. Uh, there's supposed to be, under current law, a hearing that's held. Uh, a investigator goes out and is supposed to interview the person who's, for whom the conservatorship is being created, as well as other family members. They're supposed to consult with medical professionals and then make a report to the court. But what's happening is the courts are overwhelmed. They, in some cases, don't have sufficient resources, and they're not paying enough attention to these cases. And so, consequently, these investigations may not happen, or they may not happen as thoroughly, or even if they don't happen, uh, they're not being uh, listened to in the way that they should. And so courts are making decisions to appoint conservators where they're not necessary. And then the level of review, once the conservator has been appointed under current law, only requires a hearing uh, once every two years. And a lot of mischief obviously can occur in a two-year period. And so there's not enough ongoing review of the cases once a conservatorship is established. I was shocked when I, I witnessed in this case that, that got me got me involved that something like $100,000 had been committed contrary to this person's wishes by the conservator. So um, I guess that the first abuse your, your, omni, your omnibus bill is going to address? Well, it is. It's one of the abuses, and that is there's no there's really no... Um, schedule of fees for private professional conservators. They wow. basically can charge whatever uh, the court will grant them. And so you see uh, very, very uh, abusive practices where people are being charged a lot for basic services like, you know, maybe coming in and cleaning the house. The private professional conservator will go hire uh, some contractor or, or hire a relative to do that and then charge a huge amount uh, to the conservatee, often an elderly and frail person, for that service. Uh, so the list of abuses goes on and on and on. One of the things the bill calls for is the establishment of a, of a fee schedule um, that would be adopted that uh, wouldn't rely just on, you know, whatever the conservator asks for and whatever the court's willing to give, but would be an actual schedule that would establish routine and regular fees. Another, another thing that the bill addresses is this, this issue of court oversight. The bill would require um, a hearing, uh, you know, after the initial hearing, another hearing within six months, and then annual hearings thereafter. Uh, the bill requires uh, that there be uh, more resources with regard to investigations and follow-up on the establishment of the conservators. It requires periodic audits of the conservatorship's billings and of the conservator conservator's records. Um, the bill also uh, requires the licensing of private conservators uh, through the Department of Consumer Affairs. Right now, you don't need a license to be a private conservator. You need a license to uh, open up uh, a dog grooming uh, <laughs> business in California, but you don't need a license to, to literally be the dictator and controller of some other person's every aspect of their life. Um, so we would require licensing of private conservators. We'd require uh, some educational and credentialing uh, uh, background or experience before one can be a conservator. Uh, we provide that the attorney general has the authority to enforce um, these licensing requirements, including the ability to prosecute uh, private conservators if they're engaged in, in bad behavior. And so we, we have a number of, of checks and balances and additional oversight mechanisms in the bill to, to really try to clean this situation up. How is the Bill 1363 faring right now in the legislature? How's it looking? You know, we've, we've gotten a very, very uh, positive response uh, across the board. Uh, we were successful in moving the bill very quickly out of the Assembly over to the Senate. 
Uh, we moved it uh, through the Assembly Judiciary Committee and then the Assembly Appropriations Committee. Um, I have, uh, I think at last count, about uh, 20 co-authors on the bill, including the Speaker of the Assembly uh, and the Chair of the uh, Committee on Aging, Patty Berg, and a number of other uh, leaders in the House. So we have gotten uh, great support so far. Now the bill's in the Senate. Um, you know, we're, we're a little bit concerned that the uh, industry association of, of private uh, conservators uh, may seek to have someone else introduce a very watered-down version of the bill, right. uh, perhaps in the Senate. And so we're hopeful that that, that does not occur, and uh, we're hopeful that we'll get a favorable hearing in the relevant Senate committees and, and move the bill through the Senate. So we presume then if this can get through, we hope it does, that uh, people like my little neighbor who's kind of in a bind, she'll be able to get some relief uh, fairly quickly? The whole, the whole gist of it is to provide for more oversight, more checks and balances, so that someone can't just walk in to court and have a conservator appointed for you uh, when, in fact, it's not necessary. Uh, and then in those cases where it is uh, useful to have a conservator appointed, where a person truly can't take care of themselves, that there's court oversight with regard to the, the practices of the conservator. So that person doesn't abuse their tremendous power over the individual for whom they're a conservator. Well, Assemblymember Dave Jones, 9th, 9th District, we're, we appreciate very much your speaking with us. Hope that maybe when the final disposition of the bill is clear, you can give us the final summary at some point. I'd, I'd welcome the chance to do that. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, we would encourage your listeners to, uh, to contact uh, uh, their uh, assembly member or and, and other assembly member and senators about the importance of this bill, Assembly Bill 1363. It's it's now uh, in the Senate Business and Professions Committee. That's where it will get its first hearing on the Senate side. And we'd encourage people to go up to the uh, Senate uh, website if they have internet access, uh, or call the Senate and, and uh, call those members of the committee and urge that committee to act favorably on the bill. Well, we know the KDVS signal certainly extends uh, out of not just the Sacramento area, but through Yolo County up into the foothills. Hopefully, listeners will do exactly that. That'd be great. Any news you'd like to report going to the legislature? Well, you know, one of our focuses this year is going to be reinvesting in California's infrastructure. And we're looking at making investments in uh, flood control improvements, uh, a critical issue here for the Central Valley and for the Sacramento Valley in particular as well as transportation and housing and education. But I think uh, it's important to note that, that these things uh, come with a cost. And, and right now the governor is proposing a, a very, very large uh, bond package of $68 billion without identifying where the money comes from to pay for that. Essentially it's, it's borrowing on, on future generations and, and future general funds of the state. So I've been urging uh, everyone within hearing distance to to be looking for ways to attach revenue streams to these various ideas. Uh, I, I really think that we've got to figure out how to pay for some of this and not, not just borrow, 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 uh, which would um, seriously affect the ability of, of future generations of Californians to address other issues as they occur. So I think what we're going to try to do here in the Assembly is come up with a, a balanced package of investments, but also identify uh, some ways to pay for it as well. Well, Assemblymember Dave Jones, thank you so much for speaking with us. Hope we can talk again. Thank you, Doug, and uh, thank your listeners as well for uh, uh, their tuning in and for uh, their, their engagement in the legislative process.
That was Assemblymember Dave Jones from the California State Assembly. He is the representative for District 9. You're listening to Radio Parallax. This is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. I'm Douglas Everett, and we'll be back with a lot more interesting stuff in Segment 3.